Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, let's go to the phones. And joining us as he does every week at 10 o'clock, Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? You know, I'm doing well. Karen and I had an incredible two-week-plus trip through Minnesota that was uh, wonderful. We got a lot of great fishing, played some music, visited with family. But it's good to be back in my studio and sleep in my own bed again. <laughs> I'll tell you, Terry, you laugh at this all you want. Obviously, we're going to talk sports, but... Uh, as I mature on the calendar, uh, there is something about sleeping in your own bed. Holy cow. I've been uh, traveling a lot lately, and I'll tell you what, there is nothing like your home bed more than anything in this world. <laughs> yeah, it just re- it does rejuvenate you, my friend, doesn't it? Holy cow. <laughs> I've traded, uh, although I have traded sleeping in a tent outdoors for the Hilton, so I'm okay there. <laughs> Yeah, I'll put in a hard day outdoors, but then I want a shower and a good meal. So I'm 100 percent with you. I'd rather hike 10 miles in and 10 miles out, sleep in my own bed or a, a nice bed versus on the ground. But I've done my fair share uh, even this year of sleeping in the truck, sleeping in the boat, and everything else. So you get a nap where you can. But yeah, nothing like uh, nothing like home. So my note says you want to talk about. Um, the strategy for multiple tags. Tell me what you how you how you address that. Yeah, Terry. So I mean, obviously, we still are full blown fishing. Everything's going great. We can touch base on that. Obviously, we're starting hunting. Pronghorn opens up on Monday, uh, so the pronghorn hunters are getting out there. I've been receiving tons of messages, calls, texts, uh, you know, about strategy for pronghorn and. Obviously, coming very soon, September 2nd, is our bear elk deer openers for that. We have muzzleloader unfolding. But I've been getting a lot of questions about multi-species hunting. So as far as I have a tag, let's just say whether it's archery, muzzleloader, or rifle, and I have deer and an elk tag, how do I successfully hunt both? You know, and my advice is always, you know, focus on one. So I always encourage people to separate their tags. You know, hunt one season for one species and another season for a different species, uh, just so you can really focus on it. But I get with limited time at work and fuel prices and everything else, sometimes we're going to hunt, you know, multi-species in the same week or the same season or the same weekend for that matter. Um, and I've been getting a lot of questions just saying, hey, do you have tips on how to successfully do this? You know, because much like fishing, if you just go to catch anything, you're going to fish for nothing and you're going to catch nothing. Um, same thing when hunting. If you just go walk around and, hey, maybe I see an elk, maybe I see a deer, um, your odds of success are not going to be that good. At the end of the day, if you can focus, have a plan, pick a species, your odds are going to go drastically up. So that's what we kind of want to touch base on is just, hey, if I have a, you know, trying to hunt multi, you know, animals in a, in a week or a season, how do I successfully do that? So, so how do you approach it? Do you try to find an area where you can do both individually or do you have to travel or what's the best way? 
You know, so so what my general rule is, especially on the elk and deer front, that's probably the most common. If guys trying to do elk and deer the same week via archery, muzzleloader, uh, or that second, third, fourth rifle season. Um, so when we see this, we look at the opportune time and opportunity. So number one, let's just talk elk first. Elk are going to be primarily focused as far as on their feet in what we call a huntable stage to where they're in an area that we can, you know, pursue them with odds of success. That is going to be early in the morning and late in the day. And I hate to say this because I don't want to, you know, put anything negative out there, but with the increase of hunting pressure, the increase of calling, our animals are spending slightly less time on their feet during the day and we're seeing more nocturnal activities. Now, this is not by any means anything bad. It's not that we don't have opportunity to, to harvest them. It's just we're putting a major your focus on hunting elk early and late in the day. I mean, there's times where I'll spend, you know, four or five hours before light, you know, hiking into my area, getting set, getting the wind right. My hunt might only last an hour and I have to hike three, four miles back out. But regardless, I don't care about the timing as long as I'm still hunting them. But my elk tend to be very early, one, two, maybe three hours in the morning. But honestly, it's the first hour or two and that's about it. In the evening, it's only about an hour that you really have good opportunity to hunt these animals, especially earlier in the season, that archery muzzleloader, that type of thing. So we know we're going to have somewhat of a, a more limited time on elk as to where the deer, they still bed down fairly early, but the deer are approachable in a midday stage as where the elk are not. Elk are going to bed down in groups. They're going to bed down in very thick cover, dark timber, uh, you know, moist areas. They're going to be in an area that we call unapproachable on a midday time frame. As opposed to deer, oftentimes will be on a hillside, an oak brush hill. They'll, you know, bed down in little gullies in open areas. Uh, a deer is going to bed down in, in not near as thick of cover during the day. So what I tend to do is I put 100% of my focus on elk in that first key moment of the day. So early in the morning, I'm finding those elk. Um, you know, again, if it's a, a rut situation, so archery muzzleloader first rifle, I'll go out well before light and I'll just listen. Try to find those bulls when they're talking. Find the cows when they're talking. Locate those animals, get into position, and I hunt them when they are on their feet. The second those elk go into their beds, I leave them alone. We talk about this for the last 10, 12 years in the show. Do not pressure your animals. Once they bed down, you are not going to successfully sneak up on them in their bed. Let them be. Let them rest and hunt them when they get on their feet that evening. Now you have a great plan for the evening. So hunt elk early, find them, but the second they go to bed, that's when you're turning your, your table and you're switching over to that deer opportunity. Because again, the deer will probably spend, uh, you know, roughly speaking at the end of the day, about four more hours on their feet during light than the elk were. So about two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening. So you have more opportunity to find them. So the second the elk fed down, switch over to the deer, um, try to locate them, try to find them. Once you find those deer, um, oftentimes if they're in a, a spot that you can pursue them, pursue them. But if not, watch them bed down, find out where they go bed. The bucks, especially early in the year, but if not all year, oftentimes will bed down alone. As long as it's not a heavy rut situation in later November, they're going to bed down alone. So find that buck, bed him down, get a surefire plan of exactly where he's at. 
scope out all the landmarks to know, hey, there's a tree, a rock, a, a, you know, whatever, something at this distance. So when you get over there, you know where you're at. You know where he's at. You know the distances. Um, get your wind right, and you can hunt deer all day. So a good day for me, I'm hunting elk in that first, you know, very small portion of the day. Uh, you know, successful, not successful. Put my elk to bed. Have a good plan for the evening. And then I put all my daytime focus on the deer. I hopefully can find one on their feet, watch it bed down, and then I spend all day in a very slow approach on that deer. And honestly, Terry, I let the the hot sun and these hot days actually help me on my hunt. It's crazy how when the deer first bed down, I give them about an hour, hour and a half in their bed, and you'll literally watch these deer start to doze off. You'll watch them bob their heads. Um, after they, you know, tend to wake up from their first little two-hour nap, a lot of times they'll reposition, they'll move under the shade as the sun's moving, and then they'll, you know, oftentimes they'll stay in that bed for several hours. But usually after they bed down, I give them about an hour and a half, um, and you'll literally see these deer kind of off guard. You'll see them extremely tired, just like us. We have a full belly, a nice sun. You know, we, we take a nap, and, and that's exactly kind of how these deer are, and that's my ultimate opportunity to sneak up on them. That's when I have archery equipment, muzzleloader equipment. I can sneak within range, make a shot. With a rifle, I can definitely sneak within range and make that shot. So even if I could hunt deer all day, I do most of my pursuing when they're bedded down because they bed in more, you know, presentable country uh, to a lot of the equipment that we're hunting with. So multi-species hunt, elk super early all day on the deer. And then the second that evening comes, I leave the deer alone. I go get myself back into position, get my wind right, get set for the elk and hunt those elk when they get up out of their beds in that last little portion of daylight during the day uh, before those elk go through a lot of their nocturnal feeding and a lot of their nocturnal behavior. So it's actually very easy to do. You just have to be ready to do it. Have the gear ready. Have a plan. Sometimes your deer and your elk might be in very similar country. And you might only have to do, uh, you know, when you put your bed, your elk down into bed, you might only have a, a one-mile hike or a 15, 20-minute adjust, and you're on deer country. Sometimes you've got to hike back to the pickup and, you know, drive a couple miles into your deer country. Regardless, if you have a plan, you know exactly what you're doing, you've done some scouting, you can definitely, you know, have a good opportunity at hunting multi-species in one day. It's just all about having a plan and understanding what your goals are and how you're going to do that. Um, and then once those animals bed down, it's all about good optics and really understanding how to glass and, and finding those animals and making the most of it you know i can't tell you how much you hit home with this topic because most of my deer hunting happened back in northern minnesota and i uh first of all you know i'm not the best morning person in the world and i don't and i don't have the patience to sit in a stand very long so i did most of my deer hunting by walking stock through the north woods and when you say that you're not just trumping through you're you're actually moving very slowly you're surveying the surroundings you're becoming part of the environment and i can't tell you the number of deer that i've walked up to so close that people would be just shocked even ones i wasn't going to harvest i've got deer that were just mere feet away from me by using that type of technique if you learn how to adjust and become part of your environment during that day we're in that when they're in that drowsy kind of state you mentioned, it really is amazing what you can do, isn't it? It's unbelievable, Terry, and I think a lot of people overlook that. Um, again, you know, it doesn't necessarily work on the elk side, but on the deer side, 
I would say almost every deer that I approach midday coming up here in the next couple of weeks, all the way for, for several months that we're hunting them, they get in that high sun and they just sit there and you'll watch them. I mean, it's very easy to see. They literally nod off just like we do. You know what I mean? You got the, somebody sitting on the couch after Thanksgiving and you just watch them start to do the head bob. It's crazy, but you can literally watch these deer do that. Once they get into that mindset, I'll tell you, it is easy to make an approach. And a lot of times you can even get caught. You know, you could be sneaking in, step on a branch, you'll see them wake up. And if you just don't move 10, 15 minutes, they'll fall back asleep and you can make your approach again. Uh, I did a live hunt in South Dakota uh, several years ago, and these deer were bedding out on a wide open hillside. And we have a live video of me, you know, 30, 40 yards from a deer, just full-blown sleeping. And I actually had to wait for him to wake up before I could get the shot because he was laying so low as he was sleeping. Uh, I couldn't quite get the shot off. But they all do it. And again, all hunting and fishing is, Terry, is taking advantage of an opportunity and we always talk about that what true scouting is everybody looks at it as patterns and trying to find animals but the true goal of education in the field whether it's scouting or even while you're hunting is finding these animals finding the fish learning their patterns and, and taking advantage of their daily patterns finding a weak spot you know what i mean if, if you have a very educated elk a very educated deer find their their failure when they nap maybe it's when they drink maybe it's they they walk a certain path on a certain day you know it's when a walleye sits on a point to, to ambush food all we do is look for the puzzle we look for the little missing link and we put ourselves in that position and we create these opportunities and that's what makes a great hunter and angler is learning to find these patterns find the little failures that the animal's making and that's their mistake and that's how we can create our opportunity at a successful hunt hunt or a successful trip of catching a fish. So when we get out there, take about what or take all the information we just mentioned, put it into play. I don't see near enough hunters doing this type of thing. Uh, most multi-species hunters are just walking around, hey, hopefully we find one. Hopefully we run into something. Again, make that happen. It, it's up to you. You can do it. Just, just put a little emphasis on it, uh, and you're going to turn your success rate drastically around and have a lot more opportunities out in the woods. About two minutes left, Nate. What's going on in the fishing world? You know, Terry, uh, Chatfield still continues to be just gangbusters. I cannot believe it, but it is still cranking on fish. So walleye front, if you're walleye fishing, uh, Chatfield's the place to go. It is on fire. We're also getting big bass and some big trout. We had our catch rate event last Wednesday. Uh, it was one with a trout, uh, I believe like 18, 19 inch trout. Uh, so very large trout. It was one of the big walleyes, uh, and so, and some big bass. So we had a tie for first place with 18 inch, uh, bass, one smallmouth one largemouth so very large bass big trout nice walleyes uh chatfield is absolutely cranking on some fish so we're excited to see that south park is going very strong with the pike um we are getting to that summer stage where they're getting very aggressive so on the pike front it's kind of twofold it's fairly easy to activate fish you go up there you're going to get follows you're going to find fish they are hunting uh water's warm but it's cooling off it's almost the start of that fall pattern um i shouldn't say start it is the fall pattern so so the pike fishing is going good the problem is they're very well fed and they're big fish so it's all about triggering those fish so you know when you're throwing a jerk bait uh it is all about a very aggressive approach but then when you do do that pause make sure that you throw that line back get that bait to turn sideways the small things are going to catch you more fish so tons of action get the fish excited and then feed it to them make it easy on them on the spinnerbait type concept you know run a big wide colorado blade or a real 
safety cup blade to where you can work that bait fairly fast, get vibration flash, but then you can slow it down and the bait still stays in that strike zone. Those big, wide Colorado blades are going to create lift. It's going to hold that bait up just a hair. So it's all about creating opportunity on these types of situations. So make sure that you're catering to those fish, even on the top water. Um, you know, bend your blades on your buzz bait. Bend them forward to where you really have cupping there to where you get a good hollow sound when you throw those buzz baits. So take that aluminum bait and bend them towards the, the eye, towards the tie point. Bend those blades way forward to where you have a good hollow sound. The pike fishing is good. Just make little adjustments to create more opportunity. All right, my friend, we are out of time. If people want more information or book with you, it's Tightline Outdoors on just about everything, right? That's it, Tightline Outdoors. Search out the names. We've got a ton of videos up. Uh, yeah, everything going on. Just search names. Let's get Tightline Outdoors. Uh, yeah, and we'll be talking to you soon. All right, talk to you next week, Nate. Uh, Nate Zelensky, always a great resource. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about tent camping and transitioning from summer to fall and winter on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Speaking of Jack's, Let's go to the Jacks in West Loveland, and joining us from the camping department is Logan Belmont. Good morning, Logan. Hey, good morning, Terry. How's it going? It's going well. I am uh, just got back from a, a lengthy, wonderful trip through northern Minnesota, but I'm back in Fort Collins, and the weather looks a little warm but beautiful, and I'm ready to go. But, you know, it's, in spite of this warm weather, a lot of people over the last couple of years took up camping. And they've camped in the summer, they, and I'm talking tent camping particularly here. Some are hiking in, some are camping out of their car. And all of a sudden, they found out they really enjoy that outdoor feel. But now we're getting towards fall and winter, and a lot of these people don't know if they have the right equipment to continue into the cooler season. So I thought maybe we could give them a few tips. Um, when somebody comes in, what's the first thing you need to find out if they want to continue to camp, camp into fall and winter? Yeah, so uh, generally, I'll either start out with like their either their sleep system or or the, what kind of tent they've got. Um, generally, with tents, uh, they kind of mix and match now between a four season and mountaineering style tents. Um, they're kind of more or less one and the same. Generally, uh, those guys are just designed with a lot less. More of your summer tents will have a lot more mesh to them, uh, where the winter ones will have a lot less mesh to them. Uh, it could be double walled. Um, just have less airflow through them where where that's something you'd want in the summertime. Uh, the They also have a stronger pole structure, so if you do get caught out in like the snow, the tent won't just collapse on you from the weight of the snow that collects on them. Um, I think a lot of people, though, the main thing is definitely finding a sleep system that'll help keep them warm. Most people during the summertime, probably at the lowest, get a sleeping bag that'll keep them warm down to about 15, um, which is kind of your three-season range, uh, but like for me personally, I go around with a, a top quilt that's rated for like 25, I believe is what it is, uh, as its comfort range. Because sleeping, sleeping bags actually give you a bunch of different ranges uh, typically on what will keep you warm uh, or different ratings on them. So an example would be the, the sleeping pad I have is rated for the 20. It's 20 or 25. I'm trying to remember offhand what I have specifically. Uh, that's like its limit range. That's where it'll start to, you go anything below that, you're going to start to notice the temperature 
around you. Um, its comfort range, though, is rated for about 30. So I can sleep in at 30 all day. I'm a warm-bodied sleeper, so that, that 20-ish range will probably be just fine for me, too. Uh, but it also gives most sleeping bag brands, it seems these days, give you also like an extreme rating. That's more of like a survival, hey... It'll work for you. You probably won't get much sleep, if any, but you'll you won't you won't turn into a popsicle come morning. So, all right. Now, what what about let's start? Let's go through the sleep system. Uh, start with the sleeping bag. Down versus synthetic. Uh, winter versus summer. Yeah. Um, the benefits of synthetic traditionally is that when it got wet, it could still retain a lot of its insulation properties. Uh, down its main draw is that you can compress it much more. I could show you a sleeping bag that's synthetic and then it's down variation as well. And the down variation could be two thirds to half the size of the synthetic one packed down, if not even smaller. Um, again, back in the day, that was the main advantage of down was, or synthetic is if it got wet, which if you're snow camping is a possibility, you know, laying down on the snow and potentially getting water, uh, snow and ice to melt and come on, on, uh, get all over your bag. Um, whereas down, uh, especially more in the recent years, they've been able to treat it to where it's more hydrophobic. It repels water. Uh, I had a conversation with a guy where we pulled down a sleeping bag we had. It was a Western mountaineering bag specifically that we carry here at Jack's, uh, zero degree version, um, laid it down on the floor. And as we were talking, we took a bottle of water and poured some water on top of it. And we sat there and talked for, I don't know, a good 20, 25 minutes. And when we're all done talking, we went and looked at it, and you just poured the water off, and it hadn't soaked into the sleeping bag at all. So down's come quite a ways uh, as far as that one drawback it used to have. What about the price between down and synthetic? Yeah, uh, so generally down typically costs more than synthetic. Uh, a good brand that I think is, is a great one for people to start out with out with is Kelty. Kelty does do, like, synthetic and down variations. Um, one of the ones we have that we carry here is the Cosmic, going with the winter theme here, is the Cosmic Zero, which is a zero-degree bag. Uh, have those in both the synthetic and the down version. The synthetic version is is sitting somewhere between 100, $150, $200, where that down version is going to be more like 300 so almost twice as much. Granted, the down one packs down smaller and does weigh less, so it's kind of more of a, you know, do I have this in the budget or am I willing to deal with the extra weight and size? Now, you, we talked about cots and pads, and you don't see as many cots as you used to, but a lot of people, um, you can get cots that are packable and you can car camp, but a lot of people just put a pad underneath their, their bag. How, what do you need to get to put the pad down, or do you put extra padding down on the ground in the winter? How do you address that? Yeah, uh, so sleeping pads generally have an R rating to them. Uh, your traditional, like, foam pads, generally more summer-oriented. A lot of people like those because they're fairly indestructible. You can't pop them because they're not inflatable. Um, they have an R value system with them. Um, so generally, your summertime ones are going to be around that two to three range. Your three seasons are going to be the three to four. Once you start getting into like a 4, 4.5 and higher, that's when you start getting into the 4 season. And, and there's a variable there in the sense of you might be able to get away with like a 3, 5, 3, 6 or so if you're a very warm-bodied sleeper and you've got a good sleeping bag. But if you are if you consider yourself a sleep, uh, cold sleeper, you definitely want to have a higher number R value uh, to keep you warm. And so... Um what do I need to spend to get a pad? Are they hard to pack? Do, they, do people double them up sometimes? Is inflatable versus non-inflatable? 
Yeah, uh, during the wintertime, uh, a lot of people will typically actually take those summer-rated uh, sleeping pads that are the, like, the closed cell foam, the ones that roll up or fold up on each other, uh, and use those as like a base to keep their, their main sleeping pad warm. And you can actually double up on the R-value. So if you had one of those ones that is a foam pad that's an R-value of like two, you could stack that with a uh, an inflatable mattress that says like a four, and you can get about the range of what a like a, a sleeping pad with an R value of six almost would be. Um, a lot of people like doing that because, like I mentioned, it, it can keep your main sleeping pad from getting wet. Um, it also adds extra protection. Uh, like I said the, uh, a few minutes ago, the the um, foam pads are fairly indestructible. You can't pop them because they don't hold air. Um, whereas, like your your inflatable ones. If you puncture that, it'd go flat and you'd start to lose a lot. Not only your comfort, but your insulation value on that can drop as well. Uh, so added comfort, added uh, protection. I, I would think the the message we really want to send to people, well, first of all, they need to come into Jack's and talk to you. You're going to be getting your four-season tents in here shortly. You have the pads. You have the sleeping bags. And the important thing in enjoying the outdoors, it's like our clothing we have nowadays, is that the clothing is so good that we can be so comfortable in even so much more adverse conditions than we used to be. But I think the sleeping systems are the same thing. You have to come in and really decide what your budget is, come and talk to you guys and put something together. But once you get the right system, there's no reason you can't camp year-round, is there? Oh, no, yeah, you can camp all year round for sure. And I, I'm more than happy to help people out when they come on by. I have a cot set up that if people want to try out, like, a sleeping pad or a sleeping bag and they don't want to lay on the floor, we can throw them on the cot. I will have people that will come in. They'll be like, hey, I did all my Internet research. This is the sleeping bag for me. And I'll try and get them to to at least lay in it because they may – get in it and be like, oh, this is comfy, or they could be like, hey, this is super confining to me. I don't like it. Um, we'll get people like that all the time who have spent hours looking up a particular model or, or brand and being like, this is what I want, only to lay down and be like, oh, this does not work for me. And it works for multiple things, backpacks, sleeping pads, sleeping bags. Um, so I just strongly encourage them, and I'll even lay down a sleeping pad that somebody's interested in and the sleeping bag on top of it and let them lay around for a little bit. I always joke around saying, you know, if you want to take a nap there with it really quick, I, I won't bother you. You know, other customers might might stumble across you, but I won't bother you if you want to try it out really quick. So, All right. Logan, we're out of time, but you're at the West Store, which is, is you're headed out of town in Loveland if people want to stop by. But I'm sure most of the Jack's locations carry this gear. Thank you for joining us today, Logan. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. You bet. That's Logan Belmont. You know, stop by, Jack. Do it right. If you're going to go in the outdoors, you'll find sometimes the skimping or getting just not quite right on the things that don't seem so major can just make the whole difference in your comfort and enjoyment of a trip. We're going to take a time out, and we come back. Chad Lachance is going to join us, and we're going to talk, well, we're going to talk fishing, but maybe some night fishing to get away from the heat on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from the Fishful Thinker Group is Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning, Terry. It's going to be a warm one. Uh, yeah, that's one way to put it. It's already warm. The lake's already busy. Uh, I've already been out in the boat this morning. 
And uh, yeah, it's going to definitely be a warm one. And it's the, between the between the crowding and the heat and the way it's been going the last couple of weeks and should go for a while. Uh, the reason I want to talk about night fishing is because night the night fishing is where it's at these days. If you, if you can swing in your schedule, it's it's the way to go for multi species. Now I want to talk to you about a horse tooth in general when we get done with that. But you're right; it's uh, it's something that people are hesitant because. It does take a little adaptation, a little planning, but not only can you get away from the heat and the crowds, but some of the best fishing can be at night. Absolutely. It's a well-documented fact that a lot of the largest specimens of any given species will feed better at night, and that that could be trout, that could be bass, it could be walleyes. Uh, You know, it really is, it's not a specific two species. And, and like I said, it's the largest ones that tend to take the most advantage of the night. But there's a couple keys to it. The adaptation, as you talked about, first thing for me is keeping it as simple as possible because particularly if you're going to be on the bank, uh, the less stuff you have to move around, uh, the easier off you're going to be. So I recommend a lot less tackle if I'm going night fishing. You're generally going to be able to focus on one or two things anyway. Uh, so I carry a lot less stuff if I'm going to go night fishing for sure to keep it as simple as I can and travel light. And same in the boat. I'm going to keep my techniques very simple uh, so that I'm not have a big complicated rig. I don't need. I don't want to fish anything where I have to watch the line because that, ta- that advantage is taken away. So things like jigs, things like that, I don't fish much at night. I tend to power fish at night, meaning, you know, hard plugs, circus baits, big baits, stuff that you can feel rather than having to watch and that you have less chance of snagging. So, uh, because you can't see some of the things you're throwing at, so, or throwing around. So that can be a really key thing is to keep, you know, kind of a power fishing mentality, something like you're a bass fisher, maybe a spinner bait or a topwater bait, your walleye fishing, maybe a, a shallow running jerk bait, uh, something like that, or a swim bait's a really good call at night because you can just throw and wind it. If you do throw it in something and lose it, it's not a big deal. Something like a 4.3-inch power swimmer on a jig head will catch everybody at night. The one thing I do want at night is rhythmic bait. So I want a bait that's just a do-do-do-do-do-do, very rhythmic, so the fish can use their lateral line to key in on it and uh, and get a clean bite. So that's one thing. I don't like real erratic stuff at night because I feel like fish miss a lot more unless you're going to put some pauses in there. But a real a real rhythmic bait's a good call. Something that has a lot of thump to it or a lot of vibration to it will help fish find it as well at night. And that can be really important. Another one that I think is super important, particularly on the bank, but also in the boat, is to be quiet at night. Uh, I walk the banks of Carter Lake, or I used to. I have in a couple of years now. Walk the west shore of Carter Lake at night. And what I figured out is the more you clang rocks around as you're walking along, the less fish you catch. Also, the less light you shine in the water, and that's really important. If you've got a headlamp or something on and you keep flashing it onto the water, you're going to spook fish. The funny part is fish are attracted to light if it's stationary. So if you've got a dock light or uh, even putting a lantern on the bank and leaving it there and not moving it is a good way to get fish to come in because what you'll do is you'll start the food chain. You'll get the bugs going, which will get the smaller fish going, which will get the bigger fish to come in there. And, you know, in South Florida, I fish down there a fair bit. Uh, Fishing dock lights is an extremely well-known pattern. Everybody does it. And fishing around the outside light's a good call, but a headlamp or a flashlight that's flashing in and out of the water as you move around will for sure push fish away from you, and that's not something you want to do. So you want to be quiet and try to be sneaky and be subtle, and uh, you know just be careful when you're moving around. 
And, and one thing that's also extremely important, particularly in some of the lakes uh, this time of year, you need to be very, very diligent of watching where you walk because uh, snakes are out and they're feeding at night. And uh, so you have to be careful about rattlesnakes in the dark, uh, running around any of these lakes. We've encountered a whole pile of them this year around horse tooth. So if you're going to fish at night, be very careful because that's when they're out and about and watch where you step for sure. Yeah, a couple points. You mentioned about the dock lights. Used to be when um, Bonnie Reservoir was still in existence, they had a boathouse there for the Rangers, and it had a, a, a light on it. And Rick Miller and I used to take my boat and edge back in the bay where they kept that, and there'd be nobody else back there. But we would catch crappie after crappie under that light on that boat deck, on that uh, boat boathouse on that light. You're right, it does. But a couple things really hit home with one of the things. One of the things is boating at night, and that's, as you well know, your perspective of where the shore is, where the rocks are, can really get hampered. So if you're going to be out in your boat at night, make sure you examine the lay of the land during the day and really understand where you're at in the boat. That's so key, Chad. Absolutely. And, um, you know, this tonight is the Pullman Open on Horseshoe Reservoir, which is 50 bass boats running around the lake all night long. 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. excuse me to 7 a.m. and when I used to I'm the MC for that so if folks want to come to the way and that's 7 o'clock tomorrow morning in South Bay at the pavilion uh, you can see what horse tooth will kick out but when I fished that tournament the first thing I would do because the water level fluctuates so much here is as part of my scouting I would run a clean GPS track all the way around the lake on the, any area that I intended to fish so I had a GPS track right up against the bank so I could look at a glance and know, okay, if I'm outside of that GPS track, I am away from the bank. And, uh, and because like you said, you can't see uh, a lot of what's going on. Your perspective is wrong. Um, so that's important. And then the other thing, that's why I like to throw less expensive lures because you can't see if you're going to fish the banks, which is really key at night. A lot of fish will move right up on the banks in the dark because birds don't feed in the dark because birds don't see well in the dark. So, the fish will move right up on the bank and they're not worried about herons and they're not worried about, you know, things like that. Uh, plus the crayfish and stuff are out. So you want to fish the banks. That's a key thing. But if you, you can't see how far it is from your boat in a lot of cases and you'll end up throwing stuff up on the bank. So that's not the time to be throwing your $20 baits. Uh, you want to be throwing something you can afford to lose and that you're not going to worry about getting right on the bank to get back and snag it. You know, another thing that I always, whenever I was going to night fish, I never started in the dark. Because no matter how well you think you're set up, there's something in your boat that's in the way. There's a rod that's not rigged right. There's something that when you cast, you're going to catch your lure on if it's not in the right place. So if you go out and you don't even have to be where you're going to fish, but go through the motions of making some casts, doing what you intend to do, even if it's not where you want to fish, if you want to save that for night. So you go through and you'll find out there's a lot of little nuances that you have to correct before it gets dark. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that's that's a very, very important point is getting all your stuff tuned up and ready to go. And another good point is not going where you intend to fish until you intend to fish there because what can happen is you'll go to your, your the bank that you really expect you're going to catch fish on. You go beat that thing up in the in the evening time. 
and what your fish won't move in on it because you're there and doing your thing. And so, yeah, saving your juicy spots. You know, we all talk about fishing the juice. Well, save that stuff until you're ready to hit it at night. Get your act together. Get your eyes acclimated. Let the fish move in on it. Get everything going. And then pull in on there and see what you can do. And uh, and uh, people, I think, would be surprised. And the, and the one that I think people, I mean, a lot of people associate walleyes with nighttime. And some people, largemouth, which any of the ponds around town, the largemouth are going to be far better at night. Uh, but the other one that people don't think as much about is brown trout. And brown trout get very, very nocturnal. So if you're going to go to some place like Delaney uh, or South Park or, you know, any, any of the North or South Park lakes, places where it's got trophy browns in them and trophy rainbow, three in the morning in the wee hours is a fantastic time to catch the biggest trout you've ever seen. And i got a friend that caught a 15-pound trout at Delaney on a fly rod at 3 o'clock in the morning. And anyone that's fished at Delaney knows 15-pounders are extremely rare there. Like, there's three in the whole lake probably. But there's a lot of 10-pounders, and those they'll be a lot easier to catch at night. You know, a couple points I want to make real quick, and then I want to get a quick update for you. People worry too much about color at night. Um, fish have pretty good vision, especially if they're looking up and they can silhouette it against the sky. Even when the sky is dark, there's a pretty good silhouette from underwater. I tend to use a lot of dark lures that silhouette well, and that works for me. And then if you want to make a comment on that, we have about a minute and a half left. And then tell me what's happening at Horsetooth on a regular basis right now. Yeah, no problem. And I'm with you. Black, uh, black is my go-to color at night for most baits. Anything on the surface is for sure black. Uh, anything I'm going to throw under the, the surface is going to be a very, very dark color as well. I'm looking for a strong silhouette more than anything else. So I agree with that 100%. Uh, so to horse tooth, uh, that same heat wave that's pushing everybody to fish at night is also meaning they're dumping a lot of water on corn. I spent the last week driving around out east looking around. Uh, in eastern Colorado, and it's dry out there, and they're pulling water out of horse tooth like mad right now. Like it's going down about as fast as it can possibly go down. So uh, a couple things about that. Hazards will start or are continuously popping up. So even if you were here a day or two ago, understand that um, it, it, as the lake is dropping, more and more rocks and things like that will come up. Having said that, the, the fishes, they're not easy to catch right now, Terry, to be honest with you, but you can catch them. They're definitely boat spooky more than they have been in the past. It seems like to me uh, I'm dealing with fish that are for sure more boat spooky, and I'm getting fish that are really, really scattered out, and a lot of them over deep water. So I caught a monstrous walleye the other day, uh, the fish in the 30-inch range, out in 100-plus feet of water, right at 100 feet of water on the surface. So there's uh, a lot of fish that are high in the column, but they're out over deep water, which makes it a little difficult to target. Uh, there's some smallies sitting on structure for sure. Uh, you just need to stay off that structure and cast to it. You can't get on top of them and get any of the big ones to bite right now, or at least I can. If somebody knows the trick, I'd love to know it. But if I get the boat right on top of them, they get real hard to catch the big ones. You can catch little ones, but you can't catch the big ones. So uh, that's not the, an ideal situation. You just need to stay off the points or off the humps or whatever it is you're fishing and make long throws to them. There are a fair number of wipers showing up as well. They're not very big yet, but they're they're growing quickly. I'm hoping folks will keep releasing those because they'll get really big in a year or so if, uh, if people leave them in here for just a little bit. And it's too warm for the trout right now in the daylight. We're stumbling into a few of them, but it's only deep. And uh, you'll see them come up, show up on the surface, but I wouldn't worry about targeting them here right now. 
All right. We are out of time, my friend. If people want more information, it's fishfulthinker.com, fishfulthinker on Facebook, and we will talk to you again very soon. Thanks very much, Terry. You guys have a great weekend. You bet, Chad Lachance. That was a great resource. We'll take a quick time out and we'll wrap up. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1043 The Fan. You're just a teardrop in my eyes each night. I cry myself to sleep. You're just a memory. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1043 The Fan. Teardrop My Eyes is another Wickstrom and Dobrit song that you can find on your favorite streaming service. I know we shamelessly plug it. We're having a lot of fun. I'm going to tell you a quick story. I don't think the management here will get mad at me, but Mark Dobrith is a Hall of Fame instrumentalist and played with a couple different bands, and he's just tremendous. And I played back in the 60s and 70s, and I'm giving away my age, and then was involved in the industry, but kind of got away from it. And we both are neighbors, and we just started playing around again and decided to recreate. And I wrote a bunch of songs, which we released, an EP that's uh, on all your favorite streaming services. I think it's everywhere. Um, you just search Wickstrom and Dobrith, and we have a new single coming out later. So we're having fun with it. And if you can have fun with it with us, that's just fine, too. We, we just hope you enjoy it if you do listen. Next week, we will be back on ESPN. The Broncos play early, so uh, I think they play at 11. So they're going to do a pregame show on the fan. So we get bumped over. As you know, we've been bumped ESPN quite a bit in the last couple weeks. But after next week, I think we're on the fan all the way through the end of September at least. Now a college game could come up and we could get moved. But we'll, we'll, if you follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, we will keep you posted on that. But what happens is we share programming with ESPN and the fan. They go back and forth. We have a lot of ESPN programming on the fan. Our main home is the fan from 9 to 11. And we're in our 25th year on this radio show, so we've been doing it for a while. Um, But every now and then a, a contractual college game or something special in sports comes up, and they'll have some different Saturday morning programming. So then we move over to ESPN. If you miss it, we still podcast everything. If you go to 1043thefan.com, click on the menu and go to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors under shows, um, we podcast in two different ways. There's the hourly podcast. You can listen to hour one and hour two, just like you were listening to the show, has the commercials, everything. It's just like listening to the live show. And then we have our segment podcast. If you're on a phone, you have to scroll down below those. If you're on your computer, they're on the right-hand side. And it'll have every interview, like the one we just did with Chad or Nate earlier. They'll be there, and you can listen to just that interview and not the commercials. So if you do miss this, listen there, but follow us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on the Internet, on Facebook, and um, we'll keep you posted on what's going on. And we're going to post a couple more television shows to our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. As soon as I get in the studio to look at them, Karen keeps yelling at me, i got to get that done. And when those get posted to our YouTube channel, we'll post that on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Uh, I also want to thank everybody who followed us to our recent Minnesota trip. Um, We posted what we were doing, the fishing, the places we stayed, the music we were playing. And the comments were so, uh, they were just great comments. It's nice to know we have so many friends out there that enjoy what we do and share it with us. And uh, most of the time we're going to bring you stuff from right around here. But every now and then we'll get you out of the area. So join us next week on ESPN. want to say thanks to Ty for filling in. Thanks to Karen for keeping us on the air. We'll let the Eagles 
takes us to the top of the hour in sports on 104.3 The Fan.